1 Thessalonians chapter 4. A lot of people, a lot of, especially youth, say, hey, what does God want me to do? What's God's plan for my life? What's his will for me? And you're like, I, I don't understand. I don't know. Like, what, what, what should I do with my Should I go here? Should I go there? Should I do this? Should I do that? Well, listen, when you want to know what God wants you to do for you, what his plan and what his will for you is to do, where should you go? Read the word because it lays it out pretty clear. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, we'll pick it up in verse 1. Finally, brothers, we are in, sorry, finally, brothers, we instructed you how to live in order to please God, as in fact you are living. Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. You ready? Verse 3, here's the key. What does the Lord want for you? It is God's will that you should be sanctified. It is God's will that each and every one of us should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control his own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the heathen who do not know God, and that is in this matter no one should wrong his brother or take advantage of him. For the Lord will punish men for all such sins, as we have been already told and been warned you. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, he who rejects this instruction does not reject man, but God, who gives you his Holy Spirit. So very clearly lays out there that God's plan for every one of us is to be sanctified. And that's what we want to look at today is what does it mean to be sanctified? If you flip the page to 1 Thessalonians 5. And verse 23, it says, May the God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And the one who calls you is faithful. He will do it. God has a plan. He has a desire that every one of us be sanctified. Through and through, nothing left that's not undone. 100% redone, reborn, remade. Right, I want to break down today what it means to be sanctified, what is the process that God will use to sanctify us, and what's his end goal, what's the end game. All right. Now, I want to start off with, what is the generic meaning of sanctified? What is this, if we use the word in everyday life around us, what does it mean to be sanctified? Well, listen, it means this. The state of proper functioning. I like this one already. Alright. To sanctify someone or something is to set that person or thing apart for the use intended by its designer. Alright. To, to, to sanctify something means that that thing is used as it was intended and designed to be used. See, I got a candle here, right? A candle does not work well as a comb. doesn't work well as a back scratcher. Okay. It doesn't work for deodorant very well. All right, if I try eating my bowl of soup with it, it's not going to go so well. But what does it do well? It does go well on birthday cakes. It does go well in a dark room when the power's out, you light it up, and now you can see. When it's used for its intended purpose, this candle is sanctified. Used and being useful in the way that it was meant to be used. 
God wants you and every human being to be used as he intended it to be used. Now, biblically speaking, all right, the word sanctification, okay, haziago, again, I'm probably saying it really wrong, all right, we know means to make holy. Now, we can look at it in a few ways, right, that God, all right, wants us to be separate, to be distinct, to be set apart from the world, to be holy, all right, in two ways. He wants us to be justified in two ways. One, positionally. That before him, when he looks at us, we are separate from the world. We are different. We are marked with the seal. All right. We call that in Christianity. I just lost the word. Uh, justification. God declares us to be set apart from everything else. When he looks at us, he sees his son, right? And he says, you are perfect. You are clean. You are holy. You are spotless. Our relationship with God is now clean. We're good. We're, we're okay together, right? I will not see eternal condemnation in hell because I've been set apart. I've been sanctified from all that. He's set me, declared to me judiciously, judicially, sorry, by the act of a judge that my life is now good. My debt's been paid. That's positional sanctification. We call that justification. But the one I want to focus on today is, what does it mean to be physically sanctified? That God has a plan to physically clean up my life. All right, we all know that we are messed up people, right? We know that. And, and the older you get, the more mature as a Christian you get, you have a better understanding of how dirty and defiled and nasty we really are as people. God has a plan to clean us. 2 Thessalonians 2.13 says this, But we ought always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters, loved by the Lord, because He chose you as His firstfruits, to be saved by the sanctifying work of the Spirit through belief in the truth. Who does the work of sanctification? Which part of the Godhead? The Father, Son, or the Holy Spirit? Well, we just read it, right? You are saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit. See, when you are saved, the moment you believe, okay, the Holy Spirit comes in you. You are marked with the seal eternally secure in him and now the holy spirit is going to do a work in you and first corinthians 6 11 says this and that is what some of you were but you but you now you're no longer like you were you are were washed you were sanctified you were justified in the name of the lord jesus christ by the spirit of god see god has a plan and not only has you positionally set you apart from the world and apart from sin and made you right in his sight and the righteousness of Jesus Christ has been imputed upon you so he sees you as perfect but he wants to physically in your day-to-day -day life in your actions in your thoughts in your deeds he wants to wash you he wants to clean you up 
It has an idea of scrubbing, all right? Deep cleaning, cleansing through and through as we read in uh, 1 Thessalonians 5. Now, I got a little story for you. This is a personal one. See, I grew up on a farm. Up at Parkside Ranch in Canada, a children's camp. And one of our key attractions there is horses. Kids love riding horses, all right? We have, on average, usually around 20, 25 horses. And we wanted an area, like a big oval arena. So we started walking around our 400 acres of land, looking for a nice place to turn into an arena. All right? We found a spot. It wasn't that flat, but it was, it was okay. So we went into chainsaws, cut out uh, probably twice the size of this yard here, an area, opened it wide up, took all the, cut down all the trees, moved all the lumber out, then brought in a backhoe, uh, sorry, brought in a bulldozer so he could level the ground because it was all bumpy, right? Not useful yet. Backhoe came in, leveled it all out. Now that we had this huge oval area in the forest for riding in, now a field that we made, it wasn't useful yet. It was chosen, that plot of land was chosen by us to be used, but it wasn't useful yet. Why not? This thing's called rocks. I don't know if you're a farmer, you know that rocks are, you hate rocks. And as a, as a boy, I spent a lot of my time rock picking. Days and days of rock picking. So we, we had this now big plot of land, it's cleared out. We picked it as our land to use for a purpose. But even though it has a purpose to be used, it couldn't be used yet because there's now rocks everywhere. We're talking like boulders down to, you know, ones that you could, ones that you couldn't move by hand, ones that now all right, you could lift and put into a tractor or ones that just, you know, the fish in your hand, you can pick them and throw them, right? So what do we start with first? We brought the tractor out and the big ones that you couldn't move by hand, we push those up and over, over an embankment down to a swamp. See, that happened pretty quick. You know, the, the big things, we cleared out pretty quick. That was, you know, a couple hours done, no problem. Then the rocks that you needed two hands to move, you could lift them and put them into the back of the wagon. See, that wasn't fixing hours. That was hours to probably about two days. I'll just picking up rocks, put them into a tractor, load up the wagon of the tractor, drive it off to the swamp, dump it in the swamp. Still wasn't useful yet. It was getting there. You could walk over it easily without tripping every five seconds. You know, the horses can now use the place, but it still wasn't 100% perfect yet. This is where the agonizing, painstaking, back-breaking work came in. Literally bent over for like a week, every day for a week, picking up all these little rocks, getting rakes out, raking the ground to clean up all the little rocks, getting shovels out to get the ones that are stuck in the ground and pop them out, right? Literally days and days and days of picking up rocks. And finally, the place was useful as it was intended to be. But it was a lot of work. Why am I saying that? That's the work of the Holy Spirit in you. You see, when you first get saved, there are some big sins in your life that are obvious. And the Holy Spirit, hopefully, quickly comes in and removes those. Maybe it's an addiction. Maybe it's gambling. Whatever this big thing, these big things are, hopefully the Lord can quickly get those out. And then He moves on to the medium-sized boulders. And then once He starts to clean your life up and it starts looking pretty good, 
Is the job done now? No. It takes a long time to clean your life down to the littlest little things. And that's when you start maturing and you look back and go, man, there's a, there were a few big things in my life that God dealt with. But there's a whole lot of little things. Hundreds of those little things. And they're the pesky ones to get rid of too. Because it's not a quick job. That's what the Holy Spirit's doing in us. He's going through our lives, cleaning it, washing it. Now, hopefully, you're not, like we knew, we're not going to do this job of preparing this corral in the winter. Because the ground's frozen. And to pick rocks out of frozen ground is really hard. Is it doable? Yeah. But it's, you know, ten times harder. We knew in the springtime, when the frost is coming out of the ground, it's softer, it's much more malleable and easy to work with. Which soil are you? Are you the frozen soil that's going to resist the Lord in cleaning up your life? Or are you going to be the soft soil that, yes, still has a lot of cleaning up to do, but you're going to allow the Spirit to come in and do it? C.S. Lewis wrote this, true story about himself. When I was a child... I had a toothache. I knew that if I went to my mother, she would give me something which would deaden the pain for that night so I could go to sleep. But I didn't go to my mother, at least not for a while, until the pain became very bad. The reason I didn't go to her at first is because I did not doubt that she would give me some aspirin to help with the pain. But I knew she would do something else. I knew she would take me to the dentist the next morning. And I could not get what I wanted from her without getting something more, which I did not want. I wanted immediate relief for my pain. But I could not get it without having my teeth set permanently right. And I knew those dentists. I knew they would start fiddling around and about with all sorts of other teeth. Which not had that which not sorry, that which were not hurting at the time. The Lord is like our dentist. Dozens of people go to him to be cured of some particular sin. Well, he will cure it all right, but he won't stop there. They may be all sorry, that may be all you ask if you once call on him, but he will give you the full treatment. See, the Lord is not gonna stop. With just one aching sin. He wants to clean you through and through. Turn with me to James. Some of you probably already know where I'm going with this. I shared this with the youth group a couple weeks back. And uh, actually, we heard about it in care group. And that's kind of what got me all rolling over these ideas that I couldn't get out of my mind for the last few weeks. James chapter 1, and again, we could spend a whole multi-series here in this, but James chapter 1 and verse 2, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face all kinds of trials and many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance, and perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. See, God does not want us to lack in anything. 
But how do we get to that point where we're not lacking anything? There's this one word, and it's in verse 3. It's testing. Consider pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face kinds of trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. See, the Lord is going to test us. A word for the testing there is to refine us. Now, refining has a sense of being made clean, right? What it's referring to here is you can see in Proverbs 25, Zechariah 13, and Isaiah 48 is this idea of cleaning, refining metals, in particular silver. See, a silversmith or a metallurgist, okay, will take silver that's dug out of the ground. Now, when it comes out of the ground, it's not pure, clean silver, ready to go into jewelry, ready to go into electronics. All right, back in the day, uh, during this period of time, they typically used lead sulfide ore. Doesn't sound like nice silver. Well, the silver is mixed into this ore. And they have to extract the silver out of it. Well, how do they do that? How do they extract the silver out of this sulfide ore, this lead sulfide ore? They heat it up. They heat it up to the point where it's now melted. And when it melts, okay, the impurities, all right, the dross, as they call it, the lead that they don't want, right? We don't want lead. We want silver, all right? The lead sulfide, the impurities in there come to the surface. And when they come to the surface, they interact with the oxygen in the air, and they oxidize, a.k.a. they, they rust, okay? They turn a different color, like copper turns green when it rusts. Steel turns rusty color. Right? We understand that idea. When the, those impurities come to the surface, they oxidize, they change color, they don't look like silver, and they blow air over or they scrape that impurity off. They scrape it off to remove them, and is it still perfect? Not yet. So what do they do? They heat it up some more. They get it hotter. And then they keep cleaning and blowing off the impurities. And they keep heating it again and clean it off. And it comes to a point after enough heat heat has been applied and enough cleaning and washing has been done that the silver is not pure how does the silversmith know when the job's done when it's all gone right but what is his test what is the silversmith's test to approve that this silver is now pure you know what they used to do bend over and look in it when a silversmith sees his reflection not tainted at all, he calls it pure and done. I, I love that picture. I love it. Think about that. What is God's ultimate plan for you? Is to sanctify you. His ultimate plan for your life is for you to glorify God and to turn you into an image of who? His son. So the Holy Spirit is going to heat your life up. He's going to clean your life. He's going to clean all that dross, all the impurities out of your life until he sees what? Until he sees his own reflection in you. Man, that's a beautiful thought. That when God sees himself in me as a reflection, the job is done. And you know what? The one who calls you is faithful. He will see it to the end. He will complete it. He's not going to stop halfway going, oh man, 
this stuff's really dirty. I'm going to throw that out and start over again. That's not going to happen. He picked you. He called you. Just like we did that at Corral Field. We're not going to quit until that, that job's done. We want it to be useful. He wants you to be a useful candle. Built for a purpose. He wants you to be used for that purpose. The purpose of glorifying Him. For the purpose of looking like Him. And He will do it. We know one of the names of God Himself is Jehovah Makedish. Leviticus 20, verse 7 and 8. I am the Lord who sanctifies you. Talking to the, the Israel nation. I am the Lord who sanctifies you. See, it's a progressive work. The Holy Spirit, over time, is working your heart and your life to clean you up. Clean up your thoughts, clean up your words, clean up your actions. So that what you do is a mirror image of Jesus Christ. Now that's God's role. Uh, do we have any say, like, do we have any role in this at all? Well, we are commanded in Romans chapter 6, verse 19, to present your members, your body, as slaves to righteousness, leading to our sanctification. You have a role to play. Are you going to be the hard soil or the soft soil, the one that's easily to work with? All right. You should be producing fruit in your life. In Romans 6.22, it says that the fruit that you bear, all right, leads to sanctification and in its end, eternal life. You cannot earn your salvation. You cannot lose your salvation. But in the work of cleaning your own life up, through the power of the Holy Spirit, you have a work to play. God has a call for you. He has a job for you. Are you doing it? You see, Jesus didn't come to this earth and just sit down and do nothing. Yes, he was God's son, part of God's family. But did he ever sit down and take a break and do nothing? No. And when he did, he was refreshing himself in the Lord, his Father. He worked. We are called to work here on earth. God has a job for you. And that doesn't mean go to job, your work every day and earn an income. Yes, that's important to do. But God has spiritual work for us to do here. Sharing the gospel. Meeting the needs of the needy. Loving our neighbors. Loving each other and building each other up. Right? That is a part of us turning into an image of Jesus Christ. We are to pursue growing in godliness. I want to finish with one, one story. I'm going to wrap it up with this. This is a story of a young girl who accepted Jesus Christ as her Savior. And uh, she was looking for a new church. And she met with the, uh, the, local, the leaders of that church. And they asked her this question. When you were a sinner, before you received the Lord into your life, sorry, sorry, were you a sinner, they asked, before you received the Lord into your life? Uh, they required an old deacon. She said, yes, sir. Well, are you still a sinner now, they asked her. She replied, to tell you the truth, 
I feel I'm a greater sinner than ever. Then what really changed in your life? What, what change have you experienced, they asked her. She said, I don't quite know how to explain it. Except that I used to be a sinner running after sin. But now I'm a sinner who's saved running away from sin. Christians, are we going to mess up? Yes. Are we saved? Yes. We should be running away from sin. Tomorrow I should sin less than today. My life should be getting cleaned up. And it is not possible without the work of the Holy Spirit. And thankfully, He will perfect it. What day will you be finally made pure and clean and perfect like, the, like Jesus Himself? The day you die, right? You get a new body. It's going to be wonderful. No more sinful nature. That day will come. And right now we are to strive to be more and more like Him every day. And hopefully the Holy Spirit yearns in you, burdens you to do that, convicts you of what needs to change. And by trusting in Him, it's possible. It's possible every day to become more and more like our Savior. So let that be your prayer request for this week. Let's close in prayer. Lord God, our Father, we give you thanks that you reign supreme over all things. We thank you that you have chosen us. You have chosen us for a purpose. A purpose to glorify you, to be useful for you down here on earth. We pray that we would fulfill through the power of your Spirit and the cleansing work that He will do in us, that we will be faithful to that. That we will allow Him to come in and clean up our lives. That we will not fight it, we will not resist it. Lord, You have done so much for us. The least we can do in return is say thank You here I am, send me. Wherever you would have me to go, whatever you would have me to do, whatever you would have me to say, here I am. Help us, Lord, to be running from sin. In your Son's name we pray. Amen.